Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Have you ever worried about being caught short in the toilet department during a training run or a race? Or has this actually happened to you? This affliction, it might be called runner's gut or digestive distress or exercise-induced IBS, but whatever its name, it's a very distressing and yet common experience. The message from Karen and I today is you don't have to put up with this, and we'll share with you how we help clients resolve their digestive issues, so all they have to do is focus on their running. Now be warned, there will be toilet talk today, so we hope you're not squeamish. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. I'm Karen and I'm here as always with Aileen and our topic for today is runner's toilet troubles. But just before we move into that area of of, uh, conversation, which should be interesting, I have to say, I would just like to welcome back our regular listeners. And also, if you're listening for the first time, a really warm welcome to you. And we hope that you enjoy this episode and all the others that have come before and also still have to follow. Now, Aileen and I really enjoy our podcasting, but we also love to hear from you as well. So please drop us a line at hello at runnershealthhub.com to introduce yourself and also to share a little bit about your running and your nutrition goals, because it really helps us plan future topics for the podcast. And we also have some free downloadable ebooks at our website, runnershealthhub.com. And um, there's some really um, helpful books there. So just look at the top menu bar for free nutrition guides. The most popular one really we find to date is top running snacks and nutrient timing to help fuel your running, which goes alongside much of the advice really that we share in our episodes. So we really hope that it helps you. So let's get started. So, as I said earlier, the title of our discussion today is Runner's Toilet Troubles. Now, inconsistent digestive health can be a major disruptor um, to run training and races for many runners. And it can lead to anxiety, poor performance and impact really on our enjoyment of running. 
Now, digestive distress um, or runner's gut, as it's often um, known, affects many endurance runners. So it really is a topic that is of interest to many of our listeners. And we have focused on digestion in a number of episodes, which we'll list in our show notes for you all. But with that in mind, Aileen, why are we talking about this subject today specifically? Hi, Karen. Hi, everyone. Uh, well, I think, uh, you know, as you said earlier, it's a it's a topic that many people are interested in. And I think it's a topic worth revisiting regularly as it's an area of health that can change over time. Uh, so you may be someone with no history of digestive problems, um, but then something can trigger change and that can result in the issues that you've mentioned. Um, now, some runners may be regularly experiencing things like constipation or diarrhea or loose stools and perhaps having urgency to go. And that might be, um, you know, something that's happening regularly to them. But these digestive symptoms can often be aggravated or triggered by running. Now, you know, we often joke about this topic and I think that's it's a bit of a defense mechanism but really it's no joking matter because there are ways that you can resolve underlying digestive issues so if you've been putting up with digestive issues and managing symptoms around your own training it's worth considering how you can take action to help alleviate those symptoms and disruptions and if it's something you've not experienced it's still worth listening in today because it might be something you experience in the future. Yeah and like you say Alien, endurance running alone may contribute to that digestive distress however if you have poor gut health in general then it's likely that that endurance running will exacerbate the symptoms so really our aim today is to help you understand why you may have a problem and what you may do to get to the root of the problem and be able to take action to resolve it so following on from that we'll talk what we'll talk about today is how and why endurance running affects digestive health We'll look at constipation and diarrhea, what may be contributing to it and how you could potentially alleviate those digestive symptoms and then think about managing food triggers. So Aileen, let's start by exploring the reasons why endurance running may be a trigger to digestive symptoms. What can you tell us about that? Well, I think we're all aware that endurance running creates a physical stress on the body and that physical stress also includes on the digestive system. Um, and the areas that we need to consider are physiological and mechanical. So when we're thinking about physiological um, considerations, we need to really consider the impact of stress hormones and reduce blood flow to the gastrointestinal tract. And when we're thinking about mechanical um, issues. We need to think about the bouncing effect of running and how that affects the digestive system and in particularly the bowel. So when the body's under stress from running, the blood flow is preferentially diverted um, to the working muscles and heart. So potentially there's a reduced blood flow to the digestive system and that may temporarily impact on function. Now, blood flow to the intestines might be reduced up to 80 percent, which is rather a lot, really. And uh, and that can lead to cramping and maybe contribute to the development 
of inflammation of the large intestine, which may in turn lead to the development of bowel disorders. So that's, um, you know, a big thing to take into consideration. So, Karen, I wondered if you'd sort of talk a little bit about the impact of stress on the digestive system. Yes, and stress does have a, a, a or potentially has a huge impact on the digestive system. And I think it, it, we we all know that anxiety or excitement tends to be especially high before a race event, and this anxiety or excitement was thought to affect gastric hormone secretion, which in turn may affect intestinal or gut motility. Now, gut motility means the movement of food through the digestive system and changes in that gut motility may reduce absorption of nutrients and that can lead to diarrhea and the urgency to go experienced by many runners. Now, the bouncing effect of running also contributes um, to this potentially suboptimal gut mobility or motility. Now, if you're an endurance runner, it's likely that you are running several times every week. So your training may include intense vigorous sessions and also prolonged durations or mileage. Now, it's thought that the repetitive high impact mechanics of running leads to damage of the intestinal walls, which in turn might lead to GI bleeding. Now, this may or may not be evident. Um, that is, you might see blood in your stools, or it may be that it's intestinal bleeding, which is causing minor or it might be major issues. So what I would say is if you do see blood in your stools, that is regarded as a, a medical red flag, really, and you should consult immediately with your medical practitioner. Now, an environmental factor that also needs to be considered is that um, that a high sweat rate or increased core temperature might lead to decreased um, or does lead to decreased blood to the GI tract, so that gastrointestinal tract, because it is shunted to skin to disperse heat. So you may notice that your symptoms are related to warmer weather or training sessions when your sweat rate is high. So there are potentially quite a few different reasons for um, this, this, these gut irritations and gut symptoms. Yeah, and I think also, you know, when you're experiencing these digestive issues or worrying about the, their potential, you know, often you, you start set out on a run thinking, is it going to happen today? Well, that's another stressor, which is going to add to the stress load. So it's a bit of a vicious cycle, really, isn't it? It can be. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and you know, I, I don't know if you've been there, but I've certainly been there ailing where maybe I haven't, I haven't but into the loo when I wanted to go and then you're just going into that run okay so is it going to happen or am I going to get through this run without having to go and all of this it's a real psychological battle so like I said earlier as you could see that you know just by being an endurance runner we are creating an environment for potential digestive issues so it's really important that we do everything we can to promote a healthy digestive system so 
you know, many runners talk about urgency to go when on a run um, and suddenly needing to stop for the toilet or worrying about when to start a training run in the morning as they um, haven't had that bowel movement, like I've just said. Now, understandably, this can be really distressing and also distracting. But also, there are many runners um that say that one of the benefits of running is that it helps them manage constipation. So, Aileen, what would you what would you say about that and 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 the constipation aspect of digestive issues? Yeah, as you say, you know, I've heard many people say that running helps them be regular, if you like, and that's because the movement of running uh, might be promoting the waves of muscular movement, which is known as peristalsis, and that peristalsis movement helps move the stool through the large intestine. Um, so for these people, the movement when running might be helpful. And now a, a problem with constipation, as, as you mentioned there, is that you may not have a, a daily movement at a regular time. So you never know when you might need to go to the toilet or when you're going to get that signal or sensation that it, it's time to go. And, and that can be at really inconvenient moments, like in the middle of the run. Um, so going back to your point, Karen, I think, yes, running can help stimulate bowel movements but ideally it'd be really better if the bowel movements were happening in a natural regular way without relying on the the movement that you get when you're running yeah definitely and I think running and also caffeine is another one I think a lot of people depend on those two to keep them regular now I was just thinking Aileen maybe at this point it would be helpful to explain how the colon works in relationship to having a bowel movement just really to give everybody some background now the main function of the colon really is to recycle nutrients and water back into the body and to eliminate waste products so when food has been digested nutrients um, are absorbed and water bacteria and fiber pass through the large intestine so the colon and begin to form a stool which is then pushed from the colon to the rectum where it sits until there is sufficient volume to have that bowel movement. So that's sort of really a very um, quick or synoptic view of, of what's going on within that large intestine. Now, your stool is made up of two thirds water and one third undigested food, but also living and dead bacteria. Now, when your stool stays too long in the colon, it begins to dehydrate, making it difficult to pass through the bowel and the waste products become more concentrated and that might lead to irritation of the lining of the colon. Yeah, thanks to that, Karen. I think it's just helpful to sort of think about the biology and the physiology of what's going yes. on. Um, so often we talk about transit time. So what is the optimal transit time from eating food to then eliminating the waste in the form of the stool from the bowel? And, and the optimal transit time is considered to be between 12 and 24 hours. And, you know, it's, it's recommended that people should have at least one bowel movement a day. But between one and three bowel movements a day, it might be different for everybody. Um, and, and as you mentioned, Karen, the longer transit times um, and less than one bowel movement a day may lead to compromised absorption of nutrients and a buildup of toxic materials 
in the colon and that potentially might lead to recirculation of toxins and hormones. Now, from a female health perspective, having a regular daily bowel movement helps eliminate excess estrogen. So it's re- that's a really important thing to for us all to think about. So what happens is that the liver um, converts hormones into a water-soluble form and they're transported into the gut where they can be safely excreted via the stool. However, if your bowels aren't moving regularly, there's a potential for estrogen to stick around longer than it should. And then it goes back into circulation in the body and that can lead to hormonal symptoms. So, you know, when we're working with with women, that's one of the foundational things that we're promoting is a, a regular daily bowel movement. It is, absolutely. And another good reason really to be promoting that daily bowel movement. So thinking about that and 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 constipation, alien and people not being able to go on a regular basis at least once a day. What what are some of the potential reasons for constipation? Well, there's, there's many uh, contributory reasons uh, for chronic constipation. So you've mentioned some of them, Karen. Dehydration is, is one of them. Um, having a, a low fibre diet, possibly medication might have an impact. Uh, magnesium deficiency, having a sedentary lifestyle. Um, it could be that you've got alterations in your gut microflora. Um, it might be muscular and neurological conditions. So, for instance, people with MS, um, you know, often talk about having constipation. Um, it could be that you're stressed. It might even just be your toilet habits that have got um sort of out of sync over the years and I think constipation is very common and and I know when I work with clients that those that have got constipation often you know they they describe it as well I've had it all my life I've lived with it all my life this is just me I would agree with that and it's almost like well that's just the way I am. That's the way I'm made up. So there's nothing that I can do about it when, in fact, it's it's normal to them, but it's not a normal, regular um, habit. It, it, it's one that, that that's not, uh, what am I saying? It's normal to them. However, it's not an optimal way of um, of, of passing stools. And um, like you were saying, Aileen, we want to be doing it on a regular basis. And a lot of people are very regular and it's like once a day in the morning and you know, as regular as clockwork, it can, it, it happens. But for many of us, it can be a real struggle and the slightest thing can knock us off any regularity that we do have. So thinking about that constipation, Aileen, and, you know, you've mentioned lots of different reasons why it may occur. What can people do to help alleviate it? Well, there's lots of things that can do, but I just want to, you know, start by saying if you are suffering from constipation, any uh, nutritional changes that you make, you should introduce slowly and gradually to your food plan. And the reason for that is that sometimes a bowel can be compacted with a buildup of waste. So if you suddenly do something that is going to uh, help start to alleviate things, you don't want it to happen too quickly or that can cause uh, other problems. So the, the message is whatever you do, introduce it slowly and gradually. Um, but when I'm consulting with someone who's experienced chronic constipation, the main focus I start with is on helping them 
relax the bowel and often that's using supplements such as magnesium and artichoke and and also establishing a regular toilet time so the 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 supplements I mentioned uh you know do help relax that big muscle really and it helps that movement um but with regards to establishing a regular toilet time one of the things I get them to do is to start sitting on the toilet at the same time every day. And even if you don't have a movement, what happens is that your body starts sending signals to the bowel that it's time to move. Um, And often people that don't go to the toilet every day have sort of developed a a lazy bowel, so they're just not getting the signals. Uh, But after a few days or maybe even a couple of weeks of establishing that routine, they start getting the signal that it's time to go to the toilet and then the body clock starts to kick in and you you start getting that routine that you talked about earlier. Um, The other thing that you mentioned earlier, Karen, was being well hydrated. So that's really important um, to take that on board. If you're not hydrated, your stool will dry out and then it won't move through the colon easily. So that's a a simple thing that people can uh, look to do themselves. Um, And then once everything starts moving, uh, it's really important to think about what fibre you've got in your food plan. Um, So ideally, a combination of soluble and non-soluble fibre is recommended. And plant foods um, contain both types of fibre. So maybe, Karen, you could explain a bit more about the role of fibre. Yes, absolutely, Alien. So let's think about that soluble fibre first. Now, it is gel forming and it absorbs water in the gut, really helping to bulk up and soften the stools, making them easier to pass through the colon. Now, the gel also combined to other, can combine to other substances in the gut, having some additional benefits of potentially lowering cholesterol levels and also slowing down the entry of glucose into the blood, thereby improving that blood sugar control. So there's there's lots of benefits to having soluble fibre in your diet. Now, foods high in soluble fibre include fruits, so all fruits, all vegetables, also beans, pulses, oats, barley and seeds. But like you were saying, Aileen, you know, some of these foods could be could cause some um, some other digestive issues initially if you're um, including them for the first time. So just introduce them slowly and build up so that it doesn't lead to to any other sort of um, digestive irritation. Now, insoluble fibre is often referred to as nature's broom because it really helps to move waste materials from the lining of the colon. Now, foods predominantly high in insoluble fibre are the skins and peel and husks and pips of fruit and vegetables, and also from wheat, rye, cereal grains, nuts, and some of the legumes as well. And another vital role of fibre overall really is to provide fuel to feed the beneficial bacteria and colonic cells, so the cells in the colon. And um, and remember, as Aileen said earlier, and I've just said as well, you know, really build up your consumption of these foods 
gradually. Don't eat loads of them at every meal time every day initially. It's a bit like your training when you're introducing foods for training. You introduce them slowly and build up. Now, a regular bowel movement will really give you a bit more confidence about planning the timing of your run training. It will be really supportive there. So, um, so Ailey, we've talked now about constipation. What about diarrhea and that frequent bowel movements that tends to be quite an issue, I think, for a lot of people? Yeah, well, again, there's, you know, many potential reasons for diarrhea and loose stools. I mean, basically what they are is a, a, a watery bowel movement. Um, so, for example, it, it might be that there's an underlying infection that's causing the problem. It could be bacterial, viral or perhaps even parasitic. Or you might have a digestive health condition such as IBS or, or maybe an inflammatory uh, bowel disease, so things like celiac, um, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, or other um, health conditions such as pancreatitis or hypothyroidism. So there's a, you know, potentially um, lots of reasons that might have triggered your your diarrhea and these loose bowel movements. But there's also stress triggers and food intolerances to be considered. And, and perhaps even an inability to digest certain foods. So FODMAP foods uh, are ones to consider. Um, and also you've also got to remember, is your run training plan a contributor to? So there's a lot of things that need really investigating to discover uh, what's going on for an individual. Now, we did a, an episode um on IBS and FODMAPs and running, uh, which is a, a useful episode to listen to. So if you are somebody that's suffering from the IBS type symptoms uh, and you may be thinking about, is it a FODMAP issue? Um, check that out. And that was episode 87. And I'll I'll put the link in the show notes. So, um, I mean, apart from the obvious, this obvious distress around having diarrhea and loose stools and this urgency to go, there's also a couple of health concerns to point out. So firstly, it may lead to dehydration and secondly, uh, malabsorption of nutrients. So with diarrhea, it's, it's the opposite to the constipation. So food is moving too quickly through your bowels for the nutrients to be absorbed. And over time, your body may start showing signs of deficiency in the nutrients that it's not able to absorb. So you know, apart from it being horrible and inconvenient and it's going to be disruptive to your life, you know, the long term effect of having um, this sort of um, type of bowel movements is uh, potentially not very good. Yeah, definitely alien. And, you know, adding on from what you've just said, what I would um, reiterate here is the importance of um, having a medical professional or qualified nutritionist investigate the potential reasons for your chronic diarrhea. You know, don't put up with it. Your body's sending a sign that something needs addressing, and you really need to rule out any potential serious health concerns. So, consult your GP, consult um, a qualified nutritionist to help you with that. So on that note, Aileen, shall we just pause for a, a quick advert break now? So I'll hand back to you. 
Okay, thanks, Karen. So this is the part of the episode where Karen and I take a minute to talk to you about what we do outside of the podcast. And today we'd like to share with you our one to one personalized nutrition services. Um, Now, nutritional approaches required to be to be personalized, particularly for digestive health. So it just seemed appropriate to speak to you about this service today. So let's tell you a little bit about how we um, how we run our one to one services. So our approach, particularly with clients who've got digestive issues, is to start with a detailed health history and create a timeline of your digestive health to get a big picture and find out all about how the digestive issues are affecting your life. Now, as I said earlier, often poor digestive health can be very disruptive and sometimes embarrassing. And often clients have tried lots of things themselves. And it's really helpful to know uh, what your journey's been and what you've tried. Now, we'd also discuss your training plan with you and see if this might be a contributing factor to digestive symptoms. And we might also suggest functional testing And so by that, I mean, completing a digestive stool analysis. And that often gives a very clear picture um, of what needs to be addressed. So we'll be looking at things like digestive function. How well are you digesting proteins, fat and carbohydrate? We'll be identifying if there's any infections that we talked about earlier. We'll look at the status of your microbiome. So what bacteria and how many bacteria are currently in your microbiome and the key really is um, diversity and abundance and we'll also be looking at your inflammatory status so when we're looking at testing it it really helps rule out specific issues but it also gives us a direction on where to start now having said that some clients prefer not to use tests so in those instances, we'll we'll make a plan solely on your symptoms. But basically, on based on all of the findings, we'll create a personalised food and supplement plan for you. Now, with with digestion, it's really about taking a step by step systematic process and monitoring and adjusting uh, your food plan and your supplement plan over a period of weeks and sometimes months, depending on your individual situation. But we found that our approach has had significant positive results with many of our clients. So I'd really encourage people to seek professional support. And Karen and I are here to support you if you are interested in finding out a little bit more about your digestive health and, and discovering if the digestive symptoms are impeding your running and your life uh, in general. So the best way of uh, finding out more is to book a complimentary call with us and um, we can have a chat and suggest the best way forward and we can explain um, the investment in the programme and the cost of the testing. So if that's of interest to you, uh, look at our website, runnershealthhub.com. On the top menu bar, there's work with us and you'll find a booking link to book a complimentary call with us. Uh, We look forward to hearing from you. Great. Thanks, Aileen. Okay, so now let's move on and talk about managing potential food triggers around our training. Now, if we assume that there isn't any serious underlying health conditions or infection, then the next area to investigate uh, it really are the, the potential food triggers or food intolerances. Now, the foods which are commonly associated with triggering exercise-induced symptoms, such as the bloating, the cramping, the urgency to go and the diarrhea that we've been speaking about, 
They are dairy foods containing lactose. Also, spicy foods, coffee and caffeine um, are, are known as triggers, as well as alcohol, high fiber foods, like we mentioned, but also a high consumption of sports gels and drinks because they do often contain a high amount of sugars and a high amount of sweeteners. And like Aileen was speaking about earlier, there are the FODMAP foods as well that can be irritating for some people. Now, FODMAPs are found naturally in many foods. There are a collection of short-chain carbohydrates, so short-chain sugars, that are poorly absorbed fully in the gut, which is known to trigger IBS-like symptoms in some people. Now, these carbohydrates are rapidly fermented by the bacteria in um, the intestines, and that produces gas. Now, FODMAPs can also pull water into your gut, and water and the production of the gas tends to stretch and bloat the gut, and that's what is thought to trigger these IBS-like symptoms. So that's just an idea of you know, what 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 could be triggering it or, or how FODMAP foods could trigger your symptoms. Aileen, would you maybe give everybody um, some examples of FODMAP foods? Yeah, well, the, the typical sort of everyday foods which are high in FODMAPs are things like ripe bananas, dates, mango, watermelon, butternut squash, pumpkin, um, various sort of breads containing wheat or other wheat type things like pasta for instance and also uh, they're in things like avocados onions garlic sweet potato so you know lots and lots of different foods contain FODMAPs and you know you might be uh, sort of recognizing some of these foods as part of your everyday food plan because FODMAP intake is high amongst endurance athletes both um, surrounding exercise so that's the pre-during post-training and races and and in everyday um, eating and that's because um, runners you know naturally choose high FODMAP foods particularly around um, uh, pre-race food choices and pre-training run choices because they're they're naturally high carbohydrate and and we all know that that's the type of food that we we should choose to fuel our uh, runs Um, so, you know, that we've I've just sort of mentioned quite a few different foods here and it's impossible um, to um, eliminate them all. If that's what you were thinking to do, you know, often people think, well, if I eliminate these foods, I won't get the the symptoms, which, you know, is, is certainly an approach that you might want to take. But if you're a, an endurance runner and you might be running, you know, between three and six times a week, hopefully not seven days a week. Um, to remember, a rest day or two is important for overall the performance. But, you know, if you are running regularly, um, you're probably going to be having these foods on a regular basis. So, um I, I think you've you really need to take some advice. So because what we don't want you to do is to remove everything from your food plan and then that cause other problems for you. Yeah, and I think really our best advice if you are experiencing these digestive issues around your running would be to think about having a food and training and symptoms diary. So you you could note down the food and drink at all your meal times and what you also eat and drink at sort of pre, during and post your training. Um, so alongside the type of training you're doing, you know, is it, it how long is it? What distance are you doing? Is it um, 
Is it um, hit type exercise and what and when your symptoms um, occur? So what were they and when did they incur, including your bowel movements as well? And if I was working with a client, I'd I'd be able to analyse this information and then suggest what foods to eliminate um, over um, a period of time on a trial basis to try and establish if there is a particular food that is an issue and... um, and and because really as as an NT we're we're looking at ways of resolving these issues and um, that that would really be my suggested action point for today sort of think about completing a food symptoms and training diary and just observing and looking yourself to see if there if you can um, put anything together. But if not, then if once you've got that diary, you can then come and and speak to Aileen and myself and we can work through it and and see if um, if we can work out what may be triggering your symptoms and try and alleviate them. Yeah. And just uh, just something that I wanted to mention there about FODMAPs, Karen, is that um, not everybody has a problem with every FODMAP food. You know, it just might be one particular group of the FODMAP foods and it might just be the amount that you're having as well. So that's another thing that um, an experienced nutritionist would be able to help you with. So I, I love that action point, Karen, to do a, a, a food symptoms and training uh, diary. I think that's a great action point to take away. Um, so I'm just thinking, Karen, a lot of people ask questions about uh, what they can do pre-race. So do you have any tips for calming digestion pre-race? Yeah, I think my first tip really is to resolve any digestive issues long before race day, uh, because that stress, that anxiety, that excitement on the day potentially will exacerbate any symptoms that you're experiencing. And remember to practice eating and drinking the your race day nutrition well ahead of race day so that you'll know what works for you and your your digestive system is well trained before you get to the start line. And my other comment would be in the two days leading up to the race, just try to avoid eating any of the potential triggering foods or drinks that um, that you've identified from keeping your food diary that you're going to keep. Um, But Ailey, do you have any tips that you would add to that? Yeah, well, I think, again, just thinking about the days leading up to the race would be don't overload with high fibre foods, but don't sort of totally go the other way. So just have enough fibre to keep your bowel moving regularly um, and also ensure that you're well hydrated before and during the race. Uh, Remember, if you are using sports gels, have water alongside them and and don't overconsume. And finally, you know, thinking about managing the stress response, just make sure you get plenty of good rest and sleep in the, the days before the race. So, yeah, that would be my tips to keep calm. Great. Some great advice there, Aileen. Thank you. And I think there is so much to discuss about digestion and 
there's so much more we could speak about. But hopefully what we have discussed will have helped um, some people and um, uh, who who do experience these symptoms. But as we are almost at the end of the episode, Aileen, before we go, could you maybe just round up with your key takeaways? Yeah, sure, Karen. So the key takeaways from today are uh, with our advice is don't put up with digestive symptoms. The earlier you acknowledge them and act on them by seeking professional support, the quicker you'll be back to peak running performance. Uh, remember to consult with your medical practitioner to rule out any serious health conditions and book in with a qualified nutritionist to help resolve functional digestive symptoms. And Karen and I can help. So do get in touch. Um, now, some of the symptoms that you may be experiencing might be as a direct result of your run training, especially if you are um, a regular long distance runner, uh, you may need to adapt your training. And that might just be in the short term to help, um, you know, resolve the digestive issues that we've we've talked about. Um, remember that everyday hydration as well as hydration during run training and races is vital for digestive health. Your aim should be to have a regular daily bowel movement. Um, you should build up your fiber content in your diet gradually, um, including soluble and insoluble fiber. And uh, try Karen's suggestion of completing a seven day food training and symptoms diary to help uh, identify any potential food triggers. And finally, uh, book in a complimentary work with us call if you're interested in personalised one-to-one nutrition programmes and testing. And also, we've we've done quite a few episodes on uh, digestive issues or, or around the digestive system. So we'll we'll put all of those in the show notes. Uh, so if it is a particular problem for you, you can check out those uh, previous episodes. Excellent. Thanks, Aileen. And thanks for today. And a big thanks to all of you for joining us. And remember, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. 
Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Active Wear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at AmazingJane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases. Mm-hmm.